We are wrapping up the series actually this morning. We entitled it Numbers, and here's the gist. Here's what we've been talking about for the last eight or nine weeks. Our lives are filled with, inundated by numbers, aren't they? From the number of calories in that double bacon cheeseburger you're going to have for lunch to the number of miles you're going to have to run to burn those calories off uh, after you eat them. From the number of hours of homework you have each night to the number of hours you spent binge-watching your favorite show last night. Life is all about numbers, isn't it? It always boils down to different numbers. And what's true in life is also true in the Bible. Little numbers that you see written on the top of each page and before each sentence. Those are called chapters and verses. And although those are seemingly insignificant numbers, small and insignificant, numbers like 316, 828, 1148, 2911, those little numbers actually have more power and authority than all the other numbers in your life combined. And here's why I say that. Because those numbers are forever connected to certain truths that have the power to shape and ultimately save your life. And I want those little numbers to be those that are imprinted on your heart and on your minds. This morning I'm excited to wrap up the series by talking a little bit about the numbers 819. 819. Let me pray over us before we dive into the end of the series. God, open our hearts now. Open our minds and our eyes to see wonderful truths in your word. And that we would not just simply see them or know them intellectually, but that we would be connected to them on a deep level, a level that changes us, Father. Uh, so shape, shape us now through your word. Make it so in Jesus' name. Amen. Throughout the Bible, Christ followers are given several uh, important, meaningful, and in fact, exciting titles. These titles are designed to energize us in our walk with the Lord. In Hebrews 12.1, Christians are called athletes and in particular long-distance runners. Right? The Apostle Paul tells us to run the race of faith with great perseverance. In 2 Timothy 2.3, we're called soldiers. In that passage, and others were told to put on the full armor of God, to stand firm and to fight in the battles that we face. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, we're called Christ's ambassadors. We're told that we get to speak and represent God. We get to, to speak on his behalf to the entire world, if you will. I don't know about you, but, but I like being called. I like being compared to some of those things. I mean, the excitement of, of a long-distance race, the thrill of being on the front lines in a spiritual battle, uh, the adventure and responsibility of being an ambassador. I mean, if I still rocked out my high school letterman jacket, which no person over the age of 18 should ever do, but if I still rocked out my jacket, I'd, I'd put those patches on it. Runner, soldier, ambassador. Those are exciting. Yet my excitement level of who I am in Christ, it decreases significantly when I read Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. In those verses, Christians are compared to several things, both of which just, just don't do it for me. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Call me crazy, but I just don't get as pumped up about being called these things as I do the other things especially when it comes to being called salt. You. 
Yeah, see, you don't get very excited about it either. I can tell. There was no hooting and hollering or amening. It's just crazy. I mean, I've, I've tried to say it with more emotion. Like, I am the salt of the earth. Still nothing, right? I've, I've tried to say it with, with a little bit more like gusto. Like, I am the salt of the earth. No, still nothing. Nothing really helps. I mean, we sing songs about soldiers, right? Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. Like, yeah. Guess you never heard that song before. That's awkward. But there aren't any songs about salt. Amazing salt. How sweet the tang that saved a wretched meal. And there, there are inspiring stories and documentaries and movies about athletes and ambassadors, those who overcome great odds, those who do great things for the Lord. But I never once heard a convicting tale about salt. And then, hmm, then the salt came out of the shaker evenly out of every single hole. You see the problem? So why in the world would the same God who called us athletes and ambassadors and soldiers, those that get us super excited, why would that same God call us salt? Doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Real inspiring, Lord. Mommy, mommy, guess what I learned at children's church today? I'm God's little crystalline compound. Um, nice, honey. Sure! Right? For most Christians, being called the salt of the earth, it's a rather lame, it's a rather tame proposition. When I hear that I'm the salt of the earth, it's like, great, I'm the oatmeal of the earth. I'm the stale white toast of the earth. Woo! Thanks, but no thanks. I think I'll stick with athlete, soldier, ambassador. But I did a little bit of research, church, and the fact that I am God's little sodium chloride actually has me pretty excited, maybe even more so than the others. Let me explain to you why. See, in Jesus' day, salt was highly sought after. It was so important, it was actually deemed more valuable than gold itself. In fact, get this, Roman guards were paid not with gold or money, but with salt. How would you like that? Hey, thanks for all the extra work you put in. I know we were going to pay you time and a half for that Saturday. But you know what I got for you? Some salt. You can thank me later. Not sure you're, a, as an employee, would be that excited if your employer did that to you. Here's why, though, it was so valuable. First of all, salt acts like a healing agent. See, salt is a natural anti-inflammatory. It's an antibiotic. It actually helps heal cuts, scrapes, and burns. Ancient Egyptians have recorded its effectiveness. Roman doctors use salt all the time. Even today, Navy SEALs will speak of the value and importance of, of washing your wounds in salt water before you do anything else to them. So we use that phrase, pouring salt into the wound, as if it's a bad thing. No, pouring salt into your wound is a really good thing. A really good thing. Because when salt enters a wound, it, it heals it. Here's how that works. It forces the moisture out of the cells. That's caused by that swelling. By removing the moisture, it removes this, the swelling, but it also removes the bacteria that's in the cells, that's in the swelling. 
you guys weren't paying attention during intro to biology, were you? It's just a good thing and it heals you, okay? But think about it. In a time and a place in the first century, there are no disinfectant wipes. There's no hand sanitizer. There's no neosporin. There's no peroxide. All you had to heal people was salt. That's pretty important, don't you think? Salt also preserves and it, it slows down spoilage. I'm going to show you a few pictures. Uh, viewer discretion is advised as these images may cause some of you to get a little queasy. Here's some food uh, that's been left out and that's gone bad. Maybe you're not so excited about lunch right now uh, afterwards. But in the hot weather of the ancient Middle East, before refrigerators and freezers, the only way to keep your meat, your fruit, your hot dogs, although I'm not sure they had hot dogs back then, or you could probably eat them anyway. The only way to keep your food from doing that stuff was to, guess what? Cover it with salt. You covered it with salt. By saturating your stuff in salt, you kept it from rotting and going bad. Again, salt dries things out, so it removes this moist environment where mold and mildew might grow. So before saran wrap, before Tupperware containers, before refrigeration was invented, all you had to use to protect and preserve your food was this, was salt. Again, don't you think that's incredibly important? So when Jesus calls us the salt of the earth, he's calling us to do and to be a part of both of those things. He's calling us to be healing agents. He's calling us to reach out to and lend a helping hand to all the hurting people that we encounter on a daily basis. He wants, to, he wants us to genuinely care about the, the people and the needs that he puts in our lives. He wants us to support, encourage, and assist people. He wants us to fix broken and hurting things, broken and hurting families, broken and hurting marriages, broken and hurting hearts. In other words, God's calling you to be his neosporin to a very hurting world. By calling us the salt of the earth, he's also calling us to preserve the earth, to have a positive influence on the earth. He doesn't want us to add to the decay or to add to the rottenness that's all around us, from our attitudes to our actions, from what we laugh at or don't laugh at to what we spend our money on or don't spend our money on. He wants us to preserve the parts of the earth that are good. And he wants us to speak to and usher in the good intentions and the good plans and purposes that he has for the earth. He wants us to have a positive effect on things. He wants us to offer godly, life-giving alternatives to the rottenness and the decay that's all around us. So in addition to being his neosporin, you're also his saran wrap. And he wants you to cover and protect and preserve this earth. Now, maybe you're not too excited about that, like changing it from salt to neosporin and saran wrap. You're like, woohoo! Well, I've got one more for you. See, when Jesus called us the salt of the earth, healing and preservation, that's not all he had in mind. See, salt adds flavor and zest to a meal, does it not? The food back in Jesus' day in the first century probably looked like this. It was probably a, a bowl of rather bland corn porridge, maybe with some meat on top. Not all that appetizing, if you ask me. So what would you do to, to liven that up a little bit? How do you liven up that bowl of blandness? You pour some salt all over it, and suddenly that's actually a pretty, pretty good meal. Something that tastes pretty good. All the flavors that are buried deep in that corn porridge, all of a sudden those things come out. So when Jesus tells his followers that you're the salt of the earth, yes, healing was on his mind. Yes, preservation and protection was on his mind. But you know what else was on his mind? Zest, 
flavor. He wants his people to give this world a little taste of the good stuff, to liven up that which is bland and boring, to bring light and life and love into places that do not have those things. In other words, he is calling you to be the flavor of the Savior. Yes. Come on, tell me that is not super sacrilegious right there, right? I'm sorry, Jesus, I repent of even making that. But the flavor of the Savior, okay, this is what he would be saying today. You are the roasted green chili of the world. I get excited about that. You are the tapatio sauce of the earth. You're the queso and salsa of this community. And you don't got to be the mild version either. You can be that five pepper version over at Hacienda if you want to. See, Jesus is telling his followers, we're to be the flavor, the zest of this world. Because when you look around, it's all corn porridge, is it not? When you look around, it's all rather bland or boring. Okay, the world is constantly consuming and eating things that are empty, that leave them more hungry and famished than before. Stuff, sex, success, that's all they eat and that's all they want you to eat. And we're going to start talking about those things next week, next week in our new series, Bount Chicka Bow Wow. Okay, it's actually called By the Book, but it's about sex, money, and power. We're going to talk about those things. But you see, Jesus says, I want you to offer them a feast that will satisfy them. Isaiah 55, you keep eating things that do not satisfy you. You keep consuming that which is tasteless and bland and doesn't bring you nourishment. Instead, eat from me, he says, and I will give your soul satisfaction, right? You will eat of the richest affair. And she says, you're a part of that. You're a part of this new feast that we are preparing for this world, saying all you're consuming are those things. There is something so much better, something that tastes so much better for you to eat, and it's right here. That's what Christians get to do. We get to heal. We get to preserve the good. Then we get to add flavor to this world. So most of us maybe didn't walk in here thinking that the salt of the earth is the highest compliment we could have ever received or the highest calling we've ever been given But it is. It truly is. We get to heal and help. We get to preserve and protect and fight against decay and death. And we get to bring the goodness and the flavor of heaven itself into this earth. Think about this with me, church. If you're choosing to walk as Jesus walked, and as a Christian, that's exactly what you're saying you're going to do. I want to walk as Jesus walked. Well, boy, was he a salty character but in the best way possible. That's why people, even the craziest, even the most unlikely of people, flocked to be around him, longed to be around him. Guy, girl, young, old, sinner, saint, broken, fixed, whatever, they all wanted to be around him. They'd walk for miles, they'd rip through roofs, they'd push their way through crowds just to get a glimpse of this guy. Why? Because he was so salty. Because like salt, he healed them. He healed their broken bodies. He healed their broken spirits. He healed their broken relationships. He healed their broken systems. He healed their broken understanding of who God was and how he felt about them. He was so salty. They flocked to be around him. Why? Because he was so salty, because he preserved what was good. 
He affirmed people's worth, as well as their dignity, their dreams, their deepest desires. He always found the good and the godly part in every single person and situation. And he reminded everyone of a good God who had good plans just for them. He was so salty. Oh, he was so salty because he added so much zest and so much flavor to this life. He showed that living the way God intended for you to live, living selflessly, living sacrificially, living in tune with his spirit, that is the best way to live. In fact, that's the only way to live. And people started, those, those who had no life, those who were living in a bowl of corn porridge, they were suddenly fully alive. They were suddenly adding flavor to this world because they tasted the flavor of Christ. The most sinful people longed to be around he who had no sin. Why is that? How is that even possible? Because he was so salty. And now, believe it or not, we're called to do the same. We're called to be the same. If we don't live out this calling, if we don't do what salt was created to do, if we don't heal, if we don't protect, if we don't add zest to this world, no one else is going to do it. It's, it's just not going to happen. So here's the thing. Every single one of you is in the family, in the neighborhood, in the workplace, in the school, in the classroom, in the sphere of influence that you are in. You are there for one reason and one reason only, to add salt to that environment. That's why you're in the different circles that you are in, to add salt, to heal, to protect, and to add zest. All right, now, now we get to the numbers for the morning. Romans 8, 19. Not sure if you've ever read this verse before, but I wanted to knock you on your face. If you can, just shout out hallelujah for me after you read it, because this is something, something powerful. You might not think so. You might have skipped over it before, but I want you to see the truth, the deep truth, the life-changing truth buried deep in this verse. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Eager expectation. You know what that feels like? That's Christmas Eve when you can't go to sleep because you're eagerly awaiting Santa Claus. That's the night before your 16th birthday because you're eagerly awaiting getting your driver's license. That's the ninth month of pregnancy where the pain and the lack of sleep and the anticipation is so overwhelming you are eagerly awaiting and expecting the arrival of your child. You know this feeling? It's an anticipation. It's eagerly awaiting. And guess what? Creation feels that way. Creation feels as if it's Christmas Eve right now. It feels like it's about to get its driver's license. It feels like it's about to have a baby. What is it waiting for? What is it expecting? What is it looking forward to? You. You being this. It says creation, which means the entire earth, physical, but also all those who live on the earth, is waiting for you to live out your new identity in Christ. All of creation is waiting in eager expectation for you to live out your calling. The earth is crying out. The earth's like on the edge of its seat, like, come on, Thomas, please, just be salty. Just be like Jesus. The earth is waiting for me to be like him. And the earth is waiting for you to do the same. Do you believe it? The earth is on the edge of its seat, crying out, John, 
Sarah, Paul, be like Jesus. We so desperately need you to be like Jesus. We're waiting for you to be like him. And I don't know about you, church, but I don't want to keep them waiting anymore. They've waited long enough, don't you think? See, you don't blame the world. You don't blame the politicians. You don't blame the greedy bankers. You don't blame the entertainment industry. You don't blame the educational system. You don't blame the top 1%. You don't blame minority groups. You don't blame corn porridge for tasting like corn porridge. That's what it's supposed to do. Where does the blame go? Right here. You blame the salt for not doing what it's supposed to do to the corn porridge. You with me? You can blame the bowl of corn porridge all you want. It's not its fault. That's what we expect from corn porridge. It tastes gross. But when you add salt to it, it transforms that dish. You with me? You got to put the blame where the blame is due. The blame is on us. If the world is not the way that we want it to be, it's because we're not living the way we're supposed to live. And that, that sounds harsh. People are going to be like, geez, I thought you were all about grace. Well, get this. Jesus said this. If salt loses its saltiness, what good is it, he said, right? If you're not like this, then Jesus literally said, throw you out. He said, if you're not acting like this, you serve me no purpose. Toss it out, he said. That's, that's bold, isn't it? That's harsh. I don't want you to focus on the negative side. I want you to focus on the positive side. Jesus doesn't blame the corn porridge for being corn porridge. He doesn't blame it for being bland or plain or gross. He says, salt, it's up to you to change it. Not them. You. So what does this mean? Better yet, what does this, what does this look like for all of us? Well, there, there are as many answers to that question as there are people in this room. That's the beauty of what Jesus calls us to. Right, it's going to look so different and so unique and so wild for every single one of us. But here's the thing. It's going to look like something. It's going to look like something. You being salt is going to be visible, tangible, noticeable. Because salt itself is, right? You know when salt is present and when it's not. Just take a drink of clean drinking water and salt water. You know when it's present and you know when it's not. The same needs to be true for Christians. We need to know with absolute certainty when it's present and when it's not. Now, I don't want you to throw out this whole lame-o excuse that I've heard before from some Christians. Well, you know, too much salt can ruin a meal. If you shine the light too brightly, you can blind somebody. The problem in our world is not too much salt or too much light. I'll tell you that right now. The problem in our world is there's not enough salt. There's not enough Christians acting like Christ. But we can remedy that, can't we? We can remedy that. So let me ask you this. If God completely removed West Bowles Community Church from the face of this planet, would anyone outside of these 17 walls, however many there are in here, would anybody notice? Would anybody notice at all? Honestly, think about it. Well, we, we would lose the space where the Boy Scouts meet. Well, we'd lose a nice gym where the community plays basketball. I mean, if West Bowls weren't around, we, we wouldn't have a Western-themed party every year out at the park or a place to come and check your box off on Christmas and Easter. Big deal. The Boy Scouts can meet somewhere else. There are a lot of gyms in this town you can go play ball in. There are enough parties to go around. 
There are other churches you can play church on Christmas and Easter. When it comes to this church, I want our absence, but better yet, our presence to be felt by everyone. You with me? If West Bowl's vanished, then may it be said that this community would no longer have a group who's fighting for marriages, who's doing all it can to strengthen and solidify couples and the covenant agreement they agreed to on that special, special day. Let it be said, if West Bowl's vanished, there'd be no place for children with special needs to come and learn about Jesus or where women who've had an abortion can deal with that and find grace and healing and mercy. Let it be said, if West Bowl's vanished, there'd be no place where teens were treated with great respect but also challenged to do more than just get good grades and be nice. If West Bowl's vanished, let it be said, this community would lose its focus and love on senior adults it would lose a place where all the generations come together to love and serve one another in humility. Let it be said, if West Bowl's vanished, then all of that would vanish. You with me? You want to be a part of that? If not, you're kind of dead weight. If you don't want to be a part of that mission with us, if you don't want to be the salt of the earth in this place, then you're kind of dragging us down. Because what good is salt if it loses its saltiness? It needs to be thrown away. We need to take this calling seriously, church. That's being salty. Those are just the things I thought of in a couple of minutes in prayer with the Lord. What would it look like if we took this mission seriously? What, if it looked, what would it look like to live out our purpose and our calling? So how salty are you? I mean, we can take that whole church question one step further, can't we? Let's ask it about you. If God completely removed you from the face of the planet, would anybody notice? Would the impact you're having on this world be felt or missed? Well, let me see. Let me show you a little something real fast. You remember, remember this little guy? This is called the block map. We passed this out several months ago at the beginning of the summer, and we did a series called Like a Good Neighbor. And this was a challenge to you. This was a, a task, a, a homework assignment, if you will, where you were supposed to get to know the eight people living closest to you by name so that you could say their name to them instead of just, hey, man, Click. Hey, man. <laughs> Almost had to talk to him. That would have been bad. We challenge you to get to know your eight closest neighbors by name and then pray the Holy Spirit would take those relationships even deeper. How many of you are doing this? How many of you have, have added more names to your, to your map? Let me just see, see a show of hands. Anybody learn more names as a result of this? Anybody have a relationship maybe go a little bit deeper? over the last couple of months because you've been talking to him by name? A few of us. So what it means to be salty. Now what good is salt if it loses its saltiness? It's good for nothing. It's just supposed to be thrown out. Let's go one further. A few months ago during our numbers series, I gave you an assignment. We were talking about the story of the, the man born blind in John chapter 8. And that morning, I challenged you to share your personal testimony, your own personal, I once was this, but now I'm this. I challenged you to share it with how many people? Do you remember? Three, 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 yes, good, church. You guys obviously did so many more. That, you just forgot that number. It was so small. I hate to even ask how many of you have shared your testimony with three people. How many have shared that I once was this, but now I'm this? How many of you truly believed Revelation when it says, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of our testimony? How many of you took action on that truth? Because guess what? That's what it means to be salty. 
And what good is salt if it loses its saltiness? It's good for nothing. It's just supposed to be thrown out. And then there's, then there's this little thing. You guys remember this little thing? Oh, yes. The power of one. Last year, we rolled out this campaign because we as a staff and a leadership honestly believe that when a church commits to these seven challenges, they will change from the inside out. They will change those inside these walls. More importantly, they will change those outside these walls. It's called the power of one, and we think this is what it means to be salty. Give one. Each week, we, we ask you to give a dollar. There's bins in the back as you leave. And we collect that money, and we all just give one dollar. We collect it the next day, and we almost have $500 to give to a family in need that very next day. And it's so fun as a staff giving that money away on a Monday morning. Just last week, we helped a single mom pay her rent and avoid eviction just down the street. We helped the family who totaled their motor home out in Golden. We helped them find an apartment for a couple of weeks because they just had to put their life back together. Within that give one, within that one little dollar you give, you are being so salty to this community. That one little dollar, that sacrificial gift, it's a way for you to live out your calling. Also within that give one is a challenge to tithe to this church, to increase the percentage that you're giving. But don't worry, we're going to talk a lot about that in the next series. But give one, one dollar. That's being salty. We also challenge you each month to donate one. Each month we ask you to bring an item so we can bless a certain people group in this town or even a certain nonprofit. So last month was stuffed animals. We collect brand new stuffed animals. You donated grocery bags and grocery bags full of those. Thank you so much, church. And we give that to the children's hospital. Because when kids go through the children's hospital, they like to give them a care package and a welcome gift. Stuffed animals, part of that. We collect coats in the wintertime. We collect canned food throughout the year. This month, we're collecting $10 Starbucks gift cards for the teachers at Columbine to say, we love you. We appreciate what you're doing. Keep it up. Keep going. Have a shot of espresso. It's donate one. It's a powerful way, a simple way to heal, to preserve, to add flavor, isn't it? Each month we also ask you to memorize a specific passage of scripture because we want you to plant God's word deep in your heart and deep in your mind. We want the truth of God to be in the tip of your tongues. For September, it's Psalm 119, 35 through 37. Direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes, not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve me according to your word. Can you memorize that for us this month? Because if you do, I think something powerful is going to happen to you. All right, so those, those three, those are the easy ones. If you're having trouble with those, the extra credit assignment is going to be really, really hard for you to do. Reserve one. Each week we're asking you, challenging you to unplug and detach from all your devices, all your gizmos, all your gadgets. We want you to detach for one hour a week. We want you to practice and protect Sabbath. We want you to enter into a time of quietness and rest before the Lord. We'd love for you to do that as a family, family devotionals, maybe even as a, a couple, maybe just as an individual, but carve out one hour every week. Put it in your phone, put it on your day timer. You schedule that time with the Lord. Be still with him. Talk to him. Listen to him. Reserve one hour every week. From there, you're kind of sitting with the Lord. From there, we're asking you to serve the Lord. That's our commit one. 
each week or each month, we're asking you to commit an hour of service to this church. See, this church runs on a very lean staff, and we're always going to do that because this is our church. And so we're going to rely heavily upon you and your talents and your gifts and your volunteer service. So our children's classes, our children's church is going on right now. From 9.30 to 11.30 or whatever, however long I preach for, the kids are downstairs. Shar says it takes 50 adults every week to pull that off. And she always needs more. To the buildings and grounds around this place, boy, they'd love to have 50 more people join them on a Thursday morning to care for this facility and make it look as good as it does. From Stephen Ministers to Demolition Days, Harvest Festival setup, choir, we need you. We're asking for you to give one hour at least a month to serving this church. Because when you do that, you will heal, protect, and add a flavor to it. After you've worked so hard for the church, chances are you'll do the next one. You'll invite one. When you work hard for a church, when you invest in a church, you're going to actually invite people to that church. Let me just say this. What we have here, church... What we experienced last week, especially with that prayer time and that community, that is so unique, isn't it? And it's so good. And it's something the rest of the world desperately wants and desperately needs, but it's something they don't know how to find. Well, it's easy. We just invite them into it. It's not rocket science. You just invite them into it. Your personal invitation to something like Awana or a worship service, a recovery group, a gathering of some sort, that could possibly, and I've seen it happen before, be the very first step someone ever takes in their relationship with the Lord. That could be the first movement they make towards their maker. Your invitation. What did Jesus always say to people? Come and see. Come and see for yourself. I want that to be on the tip of your tongue as well. Come and see. Come and see what God is doing in this place. Invite one. And last but not least is bless one. We're challenging you to bless one. Bless an individual or a family in your neighborhood, in your workplace, at your school. Maybe that's the person next door to you. Maybe that's a person in that cubicle you know, across the hall from you. Maybe that's a certain professor or a certain teacher. teacher. Maybe that's a waitress at your favorite restaurant that you go to every Sunday afternoon. But we want you to invest in someone's life. Invest in the life of a non-believer just to show them that you care. Just to show them who Christ is. Get to know who they are. Figure out when their birthday is. Know when their anniversary is. Watch the kids for them for free. Bless somebody. Bless them. Serve them. Go deep in their life. Walk through them through the highs and the lows. Don't walk through them. Walk with them. through. Yeah, anyway, you get the idea. Bless one. And you watch and see what the Lord does in that relationship. So is all of this stuff, is all of what I was just talking about, the neighbor thing and the testimony thing and, and power of one, is all that being salty? Is that what you just had in mind? I don't know, but I think it's a good start. I think it's a really good place to start. I think it's a way for us as a church to see, to measure, to determine whether or not we are being salty. Because if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? It's good for nothing. It's just supposed to be thrown out. So I know you probably didn't walk in this morning humming, I am salty, yes, so salty, I am salty, oh, so salty. Right? You didn't, I, I didn't hear that. And for good reason, because it was horrible, horrible tune. But I hope the opposite is true. Now, I hope you actually are very excited about this calling. I hope you realize the enormity and the incredible opportunity that exists in front of you when you take for real your calling to be salt. You get to help and heal. You get to preserve and protect. 
you get to add zeal and zest. That's who you are. And my prayer is that you will be that person the moment you walk out those doors. Let's pray right now. God, at first glance, we don't get all that excited about this call to be the salt of the earth. And yet, Lord, now that we see all that salt does, I hope that we are really excited about this, God. We are your healing agents in this town. A lot of us are surrounded by and inundated with problems, God, people's problems. Death, divorce, decay of different types, disappointments all around us, God, people are hurting. We all know at least 10 people, I imagine, right this second, who are hurting in one way or another. And so you have called us to be a healing agent in those people's lives. Help us to take that serious. Help us to do it well. Help us to bring restoration into all those broken things. God, you've called us to preserve that which is good. I know things look dark and bleak and rather boring and bland. The world around us doesn't taste very good, God. Well, it's up to us, up to us to help it from entering into further decay. We get to speak into it, God. We get to protect the good. We get to speak about a good God, good purposes. I pray that we will do that, God. When we see good in other people, that we will bless it and affirm it and say amen to that. When we see decay, we will do all that we can to scrape it off and remove it from the equation. Help us to protect and preserve this world, God, your good creation. Lord, help us to add flavor. It's not the corn porridge's fault for being corn porridge. It's our fault for not adding flavor to it. And so I pray that we will get excited about being the flavor of the Savior in our community. We can show them what is good, what is right, what is real, what tastes so much better. Living by the Spirit, living sacrificially, better to give than to receive, God. We want to live that way. We want to we share a taste that is so much better than the taste of this world. Help us to do that. We pray that West Bowles Community Church will be so, so salty and that many, many lives will be changed for the good by it. Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys for being here. Have a wonderful three-day weekend. Don't forget, next weekend, 8.30, 9.30, 10.30. We'll see you then. Be strong and courageous. God bless you.